0: What really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk adjacent album from that year to discuss. This is going to be part two, technically, of our summer season. Our summer concert series is uh, here. The uh, way to explain this a little bit better is I came up with the idea to do what I'm going to call like little shorter seasons where we just kind of have like a basic theme that we select our albums around. And I thought of doing it after we had already recorded the dashboard confessional dusk and summer episode. So that's why that episode doesn't say it's part of the series, uh, because I didn't think of it until after. Uh, But I was like, hey, it's got summer in the name. We can go ahead and make that impromptu first entry. But this will be the true first entry. And these little seasons, I'm planning on doing like three, like little three episodes, little arcs. So just just to do something different to give us a little bit of a Direction or theme, which we were kind of already doing with our Skaggs stuff and our Halloween Spectacular stuff, you know, first year, second year. So it's like, hey, I might as well make it something a little, little more. So we won't do like we won't be only doing these seasons, but just every once in a while. But yeah, we'll try them out, see what everybody thinks of them. Patreon.com slash PunkLottoPod is where you can get all of our weekly bonus audio. Last week we did a chart dive on the year 2000. And we're talking about the non-punk albums of that year because we've done one before on the punk albums. You can also join our $10 tier where you get to choose what album we talk about for an entire episode of the show. So that's a one-time $10 donation and tell us what you want us to talk about and we'll do it. It's fun. We have done one of those in a minute. I'd love to do another one soon. And then you can get all sorts of writing and videos over there. You can join the Discord through the Patreon. A lot of goodies for a one buck over there. I started sending out a weekly... Message blast to all the patrons, letting you know what's coming up on the show for the weeks going forward. Sorry, my cat is batting me on the head with. What are you doing? <laughs> she just bopped me on the head twice. But yeah, that'll. That's all the. That's all the plugs I want to do right now. We'll do the other stuff at the end. But yeah, summer series. I figured you know, dusk and summer has summer in the title, so you know that makes <laughs> it a loose fit. Even though that record's not very summery, but. It's summery enough. Yeah, it's bright. He's standing <laughs> on a beach on the album cover. <laughs> right. You definitely would expect it to be a little bit more upbeat, though, with like summer in the name and he's standing on a beach. But it's not it's not like a dour record either, though. It kind of reminds me of it's like that Coldplay video, Yellow, where he's walking on the beach the whole time. But it's clearly like a rainy day, too. And it's a British beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It depends where you live. <laughs> uh, what beaches are like. What are beaches like in L.A.? I mean, they're, y- yeah, you don't swim in the ocean um, <laughs> because it's too cold and kind of gross. The beaches are more I don't know. People go hang out on the beach. People surf. Yeah. Yeah. I've known people just go hang out at the beach more. It's like going to the park than it is going to the beach on the East Coast where it's like you're getting in the water. Mostly North Carolina's got some pretty good beaches. We're pretty spoiled the difference I think the difference with the beaches on the west coast that I've experienced is that they're not as cloudy as often oh yeah that is one of the, the downsides of going to the beach in, in like north north and south carolina because it's like oh it's kind of overcast the whole time and it rains a lot yeah in the afternoon but that's also like a summer showers thing like that's just a thing in general and it's yeah. just, you're there at the summer so yeah But we we get the marine layer and generally that burns off and by the afternoon but yeah so with this theme i wanted to pick records to talk about that make us think about summer or just feel kind of summery in general um i haven't assigned you a year yet for your pick but i'm curious to see how you interpret that prompt which i guess you'll know once you start looking at albums from that year yeah and so with this one i was like okay my theme's going to be summer and i was like let's do something from the 2000s so, I looked and checked to see what the year from that decade we covered in the longest amount of time. And it was 2000, which was, I think, June of last year is when we covered it. So, I was like, okay, there's been a little bit of time. And I went and looked at the albums that came out that year on the punk charts. And I saw this record pretty much immediately. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. And then I kept going. Like, I was just like, okay, I'm not just going to stop on the first one I see. So I kept going. And there were a couple options that I was I was weighing uh no doubt released return of Saturn that year. Which that was the follow up to Tragic Kingdom and that one was kind of on my list. I can't remember if I've listened to this one before or not though. If I did I talked about it on an I'm listening, but I don't even really remember. But that kind of fit the kind of tone that I was thinking of, like so stuff that's like poppy and upbeat, and I can imagine the music video was shot outside and it's very bright and sunny. Like <laughs> that's kind of why I picked the album. What else did I have on that list? I didn't actually write that list down, so now I'm having to scroll to kind of find it. Oh, uh, I considered talking about WITUS and their self-titled album. Cause I'm just a which Teenage Dirtbag was the uh, the song by Weedus. It's like a power pop record. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we would have been able to stomach listening to that entire album. <laughs> though. That voice was certainly something else on that song. Though, to be fair, maybe he doesn't sing like that on the rest of the album, but I don't know. They were like, I guess they were trying to be the next Weezer. Because I think this was had the green album come back yet, come out yet. I don't think it had. So I think they were trying to fill that gap. Yeah, Green Album was twi- uh, 2001. Yeah, so I I definitely think that was their goal, was to be like, we're going to be the next Weezer. And then Weezer came back and was the next Weezer. I did consider Borders and Boundaries by Less Than Jake, but then I remembered, well, we're close to August, so maybe we'll save some ska for uh, next month. So that might be our next season that we cover there. Oh, this is a record that Dylan and I teased on the Patreon, if you listen to that. So... I saw this album and I was like, oh, yeah, that would be a good one to talk about. But also, I've talked about this record a lot, so I didn't really feel like doing a whole episode on it. But it is Horoscope by Eve Six. Try, mind, you way, and I, Dylan, I think you were going to like say something about this album on the Patreon. Well, I mean, I was going to talk about it, but it, it just occurred to me. I was like, that's that's a pretty big contender for uh for the knowing the theme, especially of of trying to find a record that fits in summer, because that is that record came out in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, It is definitely like the kind of stuff you put out in summertime. It's just <laughs> hooky, power poppy, pop punk, alt rock. You know, it's it was made for 2000s uh rock radio in the summer <laughs> <laughs> i love this album it's like it's probably my favorite by them and i genuinely believe it is a v- underrated pop rock pop punk album it's probably the most pop punk they ever sounded they're probably trying to they're probably trying to go closer to what blink 182 was doing just in their own way because blink was big at this point and we know that max was really into like jawbreaker and i think sunny day real estate was another influence on him which now that you really think about it i totally hear sunny day on the 1st Eve e6 album it, it really makes sense and like you know max's personality on twitter is very fun and uh he is now kind of friends with a lot of like newer punk bands and ska bands like he made a really strong connection with the band we are the union so uh He's got a punk ethos. He comes from punk music. He just got super duper famous really young as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, he really was a teenager on that first record. Yeah, yeah. He famously was like, I was a virgin when I was writing all those songs about sex on that first record. (laughs) But I do love that album. It's really fun. Catchy. I would not. The song Sunstrip, Sunset Strip "Beat Bitch didn't age very well. I would probably cut that one, but the rest of it's still strong. I think everything actually, I think this is one was of those records that the B-Sides better. Like Amphetamines through the Girl Eyes at the end is some of their best songs, which right, music disagrees with me, but whatever. That's my bold stance on Eve 6. And I don't know. I don't think I had anything else that I was really strongly considering fitting the summer theme, except for more ska bands like Goldfinger, Stomping Ground, or the Aquabats, Myth, Legends, and other amazing adventures. Like, I was like, uh, eh, maybe we'll do Sky later. So is there anything else worth mentioning? Like, maybe not sticking strictly to a summer theme, but what else was coming out in 2000? So it's um, kind of strange in terms of if you're going on the maybe on the punk adjacent. If you're looking at it as broadly as Rate Your Music does, we've got like some atmospheric sludge. Some Screamo, your your new metal and alternative metal stuff, real emo, uh, <laughs> Garage Rock Revival, Uh, Vinny Vitty Vicious by The Hives came out. Yeah, which fun, fun record. If you've never actually listened to the album, it, there was a there was like a big song on the radio off this record, but the album itself was fun. Did they have see, a new record coming out. Did you see the clip of him smacking himself in the head with the microphone? No. <laughs> Was he trying to swir- spin it around? Yeah, he was swinging the microphone around and hit himself in the head. <laughs> and he like started bleeding. Oh, well, <laughs> that was a thing too. Swedish bands doing like garage rock revival, but also like a real high energy version that was like, clearly they were punks doing this kind of music. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were like, what if we made garage rock fun and listenable? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at you, White Stripes, just Still, or however you say that stupid name. Still, still, Still. Though that probably is one of the more fun White Stripes albums. <laughs> yeah, 2000, 2000 feels like a year to me where major labels had not yet found the, the new Nirvana and yeah. have been spending the last several years trying to. So trying a lot of stuff, A lot of little subgenres getting their moment in the sun. Uh, The current one being, I think, new metal. Yeah. For for 2000. But you still kind of have some alt rock stuff going on as well. If you listen to that Patreon episode, we talk extensively. There's a lot of new metal that came out in 2000. Though weirdly, it was a lot of the also-rans, like your Union Undergrounds, your Non-Points, your Nothing Faces. There is one major one that we'll talk about in a little while. But uh, yeah, I figured that probably shows up in the uh, Modern Rock charts. But also being a year where I'd have to look into this. I feel like 2000, early 2000s, a lot of independent labels got good distribution deals. Oh, yeah. This is definitely during the period where like you could get anybody's CD in a Best Buy or a media play, you know? Yeah. Unless Even, you were a strictly like, you know, mail order yeah. punk label from this time period. Yeah, everybody had distribution. So the kind of the whole idea of independent music, it's really not as small of a world mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. And with the Internet kind of becoming more accessible in the 2000s, the very, very big, be- you know, in the year 2000, I, we probably had the Internet, but it was still dial up at our house. Yeah, but, I mean. We were behind technologically. We were. The rest of the world was like using Napster like crazy, which will also tie into our album. Uh, <laughs> but so, yeah, people, man, I can't imagine though. I still feel like a lot of those people still had dial up and they were downloading on Napster with dial up at that time. Man, I do remember people would be like, you would start it before you went to bed. So it'd be ready in the morning. <laughs> that was usually how it would go. I just, Oh, that's horrible. And hope we never accidentally have to go back to that caveman days of Internet. So, yeah, it was getting easier and easier to find stuff and it was getting easier to hear stuff before having to commit to it, to buying it. Yeah. I mean, that being said, this was still also the era where you're like, well, I heard like two songs and I liked those, so I'll buy it. You know, unless you were like into more punk stuff, I feel like you weren't you still weren't hearing especially like independent punk stuff, you weren't hearing as much of it on like the radio or MTV or anything like that. So you still took leaps. I feel like I I did at the time where I was just like, I like, I heard a song, so I guess I'll buy it. You'd hear a song on a sampler and you'd buy the CD. Yeah. I think that's why samplers were so important. Samplers and comps were so important during this era because like they were like chock full of music usually. And so you'd be like, okay, okay, I'll check out Propagandi now. You know, because I heard him on a Punkorama or something like that. But yeah, you you have to take some chances. And then even still, you'd still wind up buying an album that you're like, I don't really like this, but I'm gonna make myself listen to it. And I guess we can actually talk about the album. So it's an album that I never bought, but I could have seen myself buying it. I was probably into some, I was probably into something else at the time. But all right, for my summer theme, I selected Conspiracy of One by The Offspring. It makes sense, right? What, you know, how this fits my summer theme idea? What's more yeah. summer than skate punk? <laughs> yeah. Plus, there's flames on the cover. Their logo has the flame guy on the cover. Though this album did come out in November. That was very funny when I like was doing research on it, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, released November 14th, 2000, <laughs> on Columbia Records. This was the Offspring's sixth full-length album. They had formed in Garden Grove, California in 1984, signed to some independent labels. And then eventually on Epitaph, they released their album Smash, which became at the time like the best selling independent album of all time. I don't I don't know if it's still that high up there. It could be. I guess it could be potentially. But then that got the attention of major labels and they did Americana in 98. And the person on this album is Dexter Holland on guitar and vocals. Noodles. guitar, Greg K on bass and Ron Welty on drums and the album was produced by Brendan O'Brien who at this point had also produced albums by Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine and Korn. And in fact, the year before this album came out, he had produced Issues by Korn and the Battle of Los Angeles by Rage Against the Machine. So big time record producer doing all the rock bands. That was kind of his thing. Funnily enough, he would later go on to produce handwritten by the Gaslight Anthem. Yeah, the offspring to Gaslight Anthem continuum. And there's some more like people involved with this record that we'll get to later. But we'll go through the history that we shared with the offspring. Do you remember? Do you remember your beginnings of the offspring? Got to keep them separated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember hearing them on the radio. I mean, I heard them on the radio from. A very young age. Mm -hmm. I have a distinct memory of being. I don't know how old I was. Pretty young, I want to say. And riding in the backseat of our car. I have this exact same memory. But continue. Listening to the radio. Mm -hmm. Keep them separated is on. And I remember latching on to that lyric. And I feel like you and I. Maybe you and I were both doing this together. Of like. Doing something with our knees. <laughs> I don't remember this part. <laughs> I it must have just been me then doing this by myself. But I just remember moving my knees back and forth and like touching them together and then separating them and <laughs> in time with the music. Got to keep my knees separated. <laughs> I had been really young. It's a very hazy memory. But I remember the song. I remember the song distinctly. I remember this song and hearing this song in the car. And I remember hearing this song, that song in the car a lot as a kid Uh, let me tie my car memory there i remember we were riding with our mom in that little burgundy reliant k that we had such a crappy little car but it came on the radio and i already knew the song because i was listening to the radio as a kid a lot which i wonder if that's weird me listening to the radio as much as i did as a kid was that normal was there were a lot of people i was my age doing the same thing i don't know but i knew the song from the radio already And then when it came on, our mom turned it up, which was weird because I don't know that she would listen to like the modern rock station, the alternative rock station, but like not that often. I think she liked the classic rock station better because I definitely remember listening to that more. And I remember being like excited that she turned it up because I was like, I know this song and I like it. I'm so happy that we're listening to this louder in the car now. I mean, really, that guitar line. And that chorus is just so fucking good and catchy. And yes, lifted from Agent Orange, but whatever. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> they were inspired by Agent Orange and Bad Religion. I mean, that's what they were trying to do early on. But yeah, so you can continue your origin story. But I mean, so I just yeah, I don't know. I heard Offspring on the radio a lot as a kid and, and definitely heard other singles. Really, every big single that they had that was on the radio, our radio station played. Pretty mm-hmm. often. Uh, Some of the IXNAY stuff, like the lesser, hit, the lesser hits off of IXNAY, they didn't play as much, but they were playing a lot of the stuff off Smash, and they, I think, Gone Away is on IXNAY as well. That's that was a big hit. And then Americana came out um, in 1998. Yeah. You want me every to every kid uh, <laughs> who was listening to rock radio loved that shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. And why wouldn't you? I mean, I guess I'll take the baton from here. I bought Americana after I had a friend in one of my art classes. I don't know if we would even if I would even say we were friends. I kind of thought he was a jerk. and thought he was mean to me. But for some reason, I think we latched on to both of us liking music that wasn't nu metal. So that was like the one similar thing we had in common. Like and so we traded CDs for like a week. And I borrowed his copy of Americana, and then he borrowed my copy of Eve 6, the first record. And we, I listened to it for like that whole week. And I think he, he was really into the Eve 6 one, too. So I think it was, a, it was a good trade. I think we both liked And then we traded back, of course. And so once I had my copy of Eve 6 back, I wound up buying Americana on CD the same day I bought Smash Mouth's Astro Lounge. So that really gives you an idea of what was happening at the time. Uh, Americana stands up better than Astro Lounge. Um, yeah <laughs> Astro Lounge wasn't even good then really now that I think about it there were songs on that album as a kid I was like I don't like this <laughs> this song <laughs> but it's got all star and yeah I remember like my cousin being into the offspring and us like singing pretty fly for a white guy because that's just a song that kids are going to latch on to <laughs> which is very funny to think about because it's like it's not a very kid friendly song <laughs> <laughs> yeah not appropriate not age appropriate <laughs> And yeah, I remember I love that album. But for some reason, when Conspiracy of One came out, I never bought it. I don't know if 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 I was just into other things at that point. I guess I could have been buying like MXPX stuff around this period. So it was like the beginnings of my like getting into non-radio music. I definitely was listening to new Metal at this point. Lots of new Metal. Do you think it was also maybe the consideration that a record like Americana is a record that snuck through our um, l- loose prohibition against <laughs> <laughs> out music with swears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that Americana is the album that I was concerned I wouldn't get to keep after I bought it because that was the one that my mom made my dad go through the lyric sheet. And uh, I <laughs> I remember being like, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh God. I don't think there's really any like big swears on that record. So I don't they're my I probably bought it at Walmart, too. So I don't even know if it might have been censored for all I know. I was worried. I was concerned. Uh, and that that also was the kind of the beginning of me going like this isn't worth it <laughs> to to try and get music in the house. That's not Christian. So that that may be the origins of us just being like, all right, let's just try and just do the Christian music thing because. At least we're not going to get frisked. <laughs> Hand me the lyrics. <laughs> there are some big F words on, uh, on Americana. So you might have had an edited version of it. I might have. Anyway. So I don't know. Yeah, I didn't buy it. So yeah, you're right. I was probably more just concerned with buying stuff that I could just bring home without having to have it, it be investigated. So I probably wouldn't have been as into buying this one. There might have even been like a you know, explicit lyrics sticker on the CD. But I do remember getting it from the library, which I talked about a lot on the Patreon. Uh, The library was very useful for me as a teen, preteen teen, teen, getting to hear albums that I didn't have to spend money on to get and listen to. It's why I checked out three different fish albums, (laughs) (laughs) but also why I checked out smashing pumpkins, melancholy. I think Siamese dream later too. So I did eventually get Conspiracy of One from the library. Original Prankster was a big hit on the radio, but it kind of just felt like, oh, it's uh, Pretty Fly for a White Guy Part 2. Because a lot of this album feels like Americana Part 2, but we'll get into that. So I definitely listened to the record, and I remember seeing them on MTV, especially around this time because of the Napster thing. And yeah, I don't know. I just I guess I wasn't compelled enough to buy this one. And. Yeah, over the years uh, just continuing my uh since starting the podcast, I've considered myself the Offspring defender. Um I think they're better than people give them credit for. Now don't get me wrong, they have some true garbage in their discography. I'm not saying everything they ever did was good, but they have a lot of stuff that's better than most people will give them credit for. I think a lot of the 90s material is really strong and the I consider them a gateway punk band for a lot of younger kids like because they were on Epitaph you know they were a bad religion and Agent Orange worship band in the beginning so I think them being so big was really it put them with Green Day as far as like that was a lot of people's first exposure in Bleak A2. first exposure with punk music so I think they're important yeah I listened to Smash uh, last year as part of my calendar project and it, and I also listened to Dookie, uh, which came out the same year uh, in 94 last year. And both of those records listening to them last year, I was like, Oh, these are canonical. Like these are punk must hear records. Like there is a reason that they were so successful that they had so many singles off of them. They're great. They're very enjoyable. And I've I've kind of dipped my toes into s- other offspring stuff. Ixnay Americana cons- and Conspiracy of One. And been like, yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. And even like, I mean, as kind of dumb as it is, Pretty, pl- pretty Fly for a White Guy is, is fun. <laughs> I mean, it is genuinely fun and kind of like, I mean, kind of like honestly snarky. Like, I there's there's something about it that is, I think, probably still resonates today about what kind of person they're making fun of in that song. Yeah. Yeah. There I guess I will say there is a lot that is kind of cringeworthy about the offspring. And I think it's the humor that they go for. That's probably like, God, don't do that. <laughs> The, the humor that they attempt is the stuff that i'm like man that's not good uh and they continue to to write that kind of humor well into their 50s these g- grown adult men on their 2021 album still making dumb jokes but it dawned on me as i was listening to this album i was like oh it's adam sandler humor <laughs> it's the same kind of thing it's the same kind of guy i think I think Adam Sandler has proven to have layers as far as like his work, but like the stuff that's like tagged the the whatever his studio is like the goofy shit that he does, the the classic bread and butter Sandman material, <laughs> yeah. So like if you really think about it, like Smash and Americana are like the Billy Madison and you know uh, what what's the other one Happy Gilmore, like the Happy, classics. Yeah, Sandler stuff, but then you know. Um the song with the album with bumping in my trunk is more like a <laughs> oh it's grown ups Adam Sandler. Like it's it's the same kinda like going for the same thing that they used to go for, but it's like played out and unfunny now. <laughs> I I wanna say it's like uh Beavis and Butthead. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I watched uh, Beavis and Butthead do America the other night. <laughs> and it's like dumb. Mm-hmm. There's the particularly catchphrasy aspects, the Cornholio stuff in particular. Mm-hmm. Beavis in general, yeah, doesn't hold up well. It's just like this is made for a teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. But there's aspects of it that are like, it hold up. It, you know, it's lowbrow, but it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And it's not generally punching down, surprisingly. What I was going to say, well, yeah, because uh, Mike Judge is like. Texas lefty like that's his kind of thing. (laughs) And it makes sense, too, because like the offspring are SoCal guys, but they they're SoCal guys for sure. Uh, But like they are from punk, you know, bad religion is a very politically socially conscious band. And you wish the offspring had maybe captured a little bit of that in their songwriting as far as lyrics go. But I don't think that. Dexter and Noodles cuz they're the two main stays of the band are drastically different people than when they were younger in their like 20s and 30s like politically maybe to see if the offspring have been like oof what are you doing guy you know like any like oh no not you too stuff and i can't find anything like the one drummer was kicked out but he's not even original uh for, yeah for refusing to get vaccinated it was this guy too i think ron wilty i think mm-hmm. um i have it in my notes or i thought i had it in my notes but um and maybe it's not ron maybe it's the one after i think no, you're I think it's the guy who took Ron's spot. I think he's the one who was kicked out. Yeah, he was kicked out for refusing to get vaccinated. And I actually watched an interview with Dexter and Noodles talking about it. They're like, look, he couldn't. He wouldn't or couldn't. Either way, he was like, logistically, we couldn't have him on the tour. I think they were kind of trying to dance around the like, because his vaccinations were a hot button issue when that happened. And I can see The Offspring having a right-wing fan base that doesn't understand their politics. Oh, yeah. No, because they're not, not especially political. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Offspring are in that category of, like, punk bands with Republican punk fans. Yeah. Libertarian Even if they're punk not... fans. Where they're like, yeah. But... But yeah, Dexter is uh, a has a Ph.D. in molecular biology, virology as well. He's an HIV researcher like that's that's what he uses his medical degree for. So like the dude knows viruses (laughs) and the drummer of the band, he said he had that. He said he had some medical condition that his doctor was saying he can't he shouldn't get vaccinated. But the guy was also like. And maybe you should question it, too. Like yeah. he was Instead of being like, hey, I can't get vaccinated because I have this health condition. You should get vaccinated so that I don't die. Like that should be like his approach. Yeah. If, if that's his concern. But it really just came across as you made up a sickness and now you're saying and you should question it. And I and that the way that Dexter described it, he was like. Everyone, in, everyone else in the band, and everyone else in the crew were all vaccinated, and we just couldn't have a non-vaccinated person potentially getting sick and then getting us sick, you know, and ruining their everyone's livelihood. You know, this was 2021, so like shows were back, but the bands are still being kind of checking your vax at the door, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that was he want he didn't want to be like because you're stupid if you don't get back, you know, he didn't want to go that route because I think Dexter. think dexter's too much of a capitalist (laughs) uh (laughs) though i was very happy to see noodles if you look at noodles twitter he's super like anti-fascist anti-racist like every like fifth post is him responding to a political article talking about how racist the you know republicans are and all that stuff so they're probably like yeah yeah they're they're so they're from orange county yeah and they are – yeah, they're, like, one of those grew up in Orange County and are, like, thankfully not racists. Yeah. Uh, not wildly conservative. But but are probably, having grown up in Orange County, like, you know, used to, used to conservativeness to yeah. where they're, like, probably can be somewhat – I don't want to say sympathetic, <sighs> empathetic – yeah, probably to where they're like, I understand the thought processes of the people here, even if I think they're wrong. Yeah, I it's still kind of shitty that like De- Dexter isn't vocal politically, really. Um, But he is in a band with noodles who is pretty vocal politically. So you have to think that they at least are close enough. I think Dexter just wants to make hot sauce and fly, <laughs> his, air- fly his airplane because he's he's a pilot, too. <laughs> But he's involved a lot with um he's he's worked with Jello Biafra on some jar- charity stuff. Mm. He raises a lot of money for AIDS Project in L.A. He's an HIV researcher too. Like yeah. I mean, I guess that has to be really be taken into account. So yeah. I guess that's just not his. He just he also seems kind of reserved because I watched a couple interviews with him. He noodles does most of the talking. Dexter does not seem to enjoy being interviewed. He just kind of sits there with his hands like this, just like folded on the table the whole time. They did some interview with like an Australian like panel show, like like a kind of like a news panel show, like a talking heads talking about shit. Um, because they had done a tour of Australia where like everything sold out. They sold out entire like their entire tour of Australia like last year, which is nuts. And the people were just like asking the most base questions you could ask <laughs> the Offspring. And they were just like Yeah. They just seem so uncomfortable. But then like other interviews I watched Dexter in, he seemed uncomfortable in general. I just I think he doesn't like doing interviews. And he doesn't have like a Twitter himself. Yeah. So Um Yeah, all of his philanthropy stuff is it's good organizations, pretty good organization he ran in the uh, the LA Marathon and um gave his charity a choice was the Innocence Project <laughs> which is the um post conviction DNA testing to Exonerate people, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so I think his his politics are probably on the mostly the right side. It would be nice if he was just kind of like a little bit more like I don't know, but they were probably a fuck George Bush band too during the Bushman era. Yeah, I it's, feel like they they were on noodles. It's hard to imagine him not saying yeah anti Bush stuff. I mean, yeah, he is definitely pretty outspokenly liberal left. Yeah, so uh, that's kind of why I'm kind of like the Offspring defender. You know, like I think they're ultimately good people who uh, <laughs> don't have the best sense of humor anymore, and yeah. and just have kind of a broad audience. Yeah. So this, I was gonna say this is like my, you know, everybody was defending Guy Fieri for a long time, but then this week those pictures of him and Trump <laughs> shaking hands at that UFC that <laughs> just like ripped Twitter apart too. Like, oh no, not <laughs> you, Guy. He also hasn't said anything about uh, it. Yeah. He's got some not great stuff also um, with like lawsuits, sexual harassment. Oh, interesting. Stuff those. that's like kind of come to light recently. Hmm. Yeah. And he's he's friends with Kid Rock. So that's definitely something to be like, ugh. ugh. which uh, people, you know, people talk about. Yeah. The, the the quotes that I've seen mostly are like it's. um. Mostly just like inappropriate uh, jokes, <laughs> and, and like I think someone said they have to watch his eye line anytime there's uh, a woman on camera with him. <laughs> oh, good. Just, uh, uh, it's those guys that are like frozen in amber at the time that they you know got famous and didn't really evolve with time. It's a it's a restaurant industry, pretty gross industry level of sense of humor and inappropriate conduct it's not an yeah. excuse for him it's just yeah yeah a lot of people don't know what working in restaurants is like yeah you, you hear a lot of things that curl your toes yeah uh and same with working in a warehouse you know you get a lot of that too so yeah uh, but yeah that was gonna be my comparison and i was like mm, maybe not let's a, compare it more to adam sandler who, not a good who by all accounts is actually a really nice and good person so yeah <laughs> oh uh, that's too bad man <laughs> yeah so let's talk about conspiracy of one uh what did you think of it, it it's fine it's good hmm. it's good good I, yeah it's good it's a good record it's a good it is not a um it's not less than three stars if we want to go by the ratings yeah yeah i guess my takeaway is it's a pretty mid album there's good stuff on it there's stuff that i liked on it yeah it's it's solid. I definitely think it's probably the last best album <laughs> that they have. I don't I do don't, know. I haven't listened to the, really anything after Conspiracy of One. I've not listened to Splinter or anything like that. Yeah, I, I, oh, it sounds funny. It sounds like you liked it a little bit more than me, which is. It's not like a, I guess I'm using good in the, in as objective definition I can. It's not thrilling. There's really nothing on here that I love. There's nothing yeah. on here that I can't live without. And there's probably only there's like two songs I don't like. Original Prankster and Living in Chaos. I didn't really. Ooh, let's see which ones I didn't like. Living in Chaos. I yeah, I I didn't dislike that one. I liked the guitar part and I liked the chorus on that song, but it did have a weird kind of like rappiness to it. That was odd. The songs I didn't like, I did not like Special Delivery. Which is the one that uses the can't fight this feeling blue sweet uh uka chakas? <laughs> I was like, What are you doing? Which I guess at that point, that song hadn't made its comeback to the mainstream, but I was like, What is <laughs> this? This is dorky. <laughs> it's got a strong chorus, though. The na 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 na, and it's got the weird theremony sounding wee 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 wee. Yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> Halloween ghost sound effect. Um, and the other song I didn't like was One Fine Day which was like the one that sounds just like Walla Walla off of their Americana. It it was the one that's just like, oh, what is this? A Mad Caddy song? That's like how it felt like to me, like those gang vocal songs. I didn't dislike it. I mean, it was it was fine. Yeah, it wasn't it didn't really like move the needle, but I didn't actively dislike it while listening to it. So you did you actively disliked original Prankster, though? It's it felt the most Mersh like Pretty Fly. Mm hmm retread in a way that was was distracting it's not horrible it's not a truly unlistenable song but it was just it was very obvious what it was to me and to where it was just kind of like it took me out of the song to be like this is clearly the single very much intending to be this'll be our next pretty fly for a white guy it'll be the next i'm trying to think of like the other like big offspring singles that I don't maybe don't love. Uh why don't you get a job? Or why don't you get one? a job? It feels like that. Why don't you get a job? It feels like the same kind of like eh, kind of gimmicky. It's it's a novelty song. It's yeah it's one of their novelty songs, which I'd say Pretty Fly and Why Don't You Get a Job. Those are their novelty songs. Original Pranksters a novelty song. They have more of those later in their career too, but they didn't take off as well. And I don't feel like they had as many pre-Americana. Like, I don't think there's a lot of those. Like, it doesn't... The difference for Original Prankster to me is, is, like, Pretty Fly for a White Guy, I have so much nostalgia attached to it that I can probably still... I can enjoy it I can enjoy it in a non-objective way. Why Don't You Get a Job is one that hasn't held up for me over time as well. Mostly for being kind of a novelty song and not one that I have as much of a nostalgic attachment to. And also, it is probably the most overexposed novelty single from The Offspring. I was going to say, there's some other ones that are played a little more, but they're not the novelty ones. They're yeah. The, weirdly, the serious songs. Yeah. Ha- have a lot of play. Self-esteem, Gone Away. Um, the Kids Aren't All Right, apparently, is like one of their biggest songs ever, which I find very odd because it's like not very fun. Um Yeah. <laughs> And I think it's pretty weak, honestly. I never really cared for that song that much, but yeah, the serious offspring does really well, play-wise. And I guess you could say "Come Out and Play" is a novelty-ish, but not really. What what they were trying to do, the bloodstains riff on their own. So like, I wouldn't say bloodstains and Agent Orange are novelty either. Yeah, and living and living in chaos, I didn't like. To me, it felt like. It felt like exactly the kind of rock song that you that the radio has continued to push that culminates in like Imagine Dragons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. about original prankster too like it's a weird song in general because it's got the the rob schneider you can do it that's what made me make connect the dots to the adam sandler thing (laughs) and then it's got like red man just randomly on that song just saying original prankster yeah like that's they hired him to do that and um, it uses like a war sample too like the band war yeah and i saw lots of people that they. The Offspring love to do Latin culture appropriation in their music, which that song has a lot of it. Yeah, has like a lowrider feel to it, and then like Pretty Fly has got a little bit of that. And two Dexter's Hot Sauce is called Gringo Bandito, <laughs> so I mean that probably just comes from growing up in SoCal and just being in Southern California your entire life. They're from Garden Grove. Yeah, Garden Grove is not. I'm trying to think of what Garden Grove is like. What to compare it to. <sighs> It's very northern Orange County, which is southern LA, yeah, um, southeast LA. Um, it's next to Orange. It's below Anaheim. Um, it's next to Huntington Beach, and then it's you know your your southern LA is like Fullerton, Buena Park, Cerritos, Bellflower, Lakewood. You know, so it's Garden Grove is probably like one of the less wealthy areas of. Orange County. And I think it's adjacency to Anaheim kind of puts it into like a it's more of people who work at Disney live there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just I just took that from being he has been around Latin culture a lot living where he lives and probably interacted a lot and likes the culture to a point that it's kind of like I mean, he's thankfully he's. He, he bleaches his hair and he just looks like a skater dude. Even now, he still looks like a skater guy. So like that's really his culture. There's a my general experience with Latino people in who have grown up here is that they are not really concerned with the with cultural appropriation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's I mean don't you know don't take it from me whatever. Like I'm not gonna get into like yeah some heavy theory. You know, on on that topic. But, yeah, my my experience with it is that he's probably very close friends with a lot of a lot of Latina people, that it's just a natural extension of the Southern California culture, something that he participates in. But if, you know, you think we're wrong about that, I'm definitely I'm definitely open to hearing you, you know, you talk about explain it, you know, and being like, nah, it's not cool. Like, that's fine, too. It's not my favorite song on the album, so I'm not, like, heartbroken that if I can't listen to Original Prankster anymore. (laughs) So what is good about it? Like, actually good, because we talked about the bad stuff first, (laughs) which was funny. I guess that's the thing you think of, though, with The Offspring. You're like, all right, here's the bad things about them I don't like. Now here's what I do like. Well, I mean, the first track is a five-second intro, but the first actual song on the record, Come Out Swinging, comes out swinging. It's, It's a fast skate punk song. Yeah, I was really happy that they went that route right away, which they kind of do the same thing on Americana, too. They start with the two, like, fast skate punk songs on that album. Uh, the intro, by the way, is Mike Love from the Beach Boys. It was like a clip of the Beach Boys. Like, yeah, and then when we come out on the stage, we sound like this. And then the song starts right away. <laughs> it was just funny. That it was Mike Love. Yeah, it's yeah unfortunate but, as well. Come Out Swinging was, though, it was like, I was like, man, this feels like an old offspring song. Like, this could have been on Smash very easily. Yeah, it's fast. Mm-hmm. Which there's a couple really fast songs like that. All Along is like a skate punk song. The final track, Conspiracy of One, is very skate punky. It, yeah, it has the classic epiphatic. Cat, 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 that fast drumming. It's that beat. Oh, Damn It, I Changed Again. Damn It, I Changed Again is probably one of the better songs on the album, too, I think. Which also felt like a ripoff of uh, another song on Americana. I can't remember which one. It's either like the first or second actual song on Americana. It sounds just like that one. There's a lot of stuff on here. I'm like, this sounds just like another song you wrote on the previous record. I think I want you. I think want you bad is a is a solid pop punk song. It's definitely like them trying to do something more Ramones pop and pop punk influenced, just like a straight ahead song. The thing I don't like about that song is the lyrics I just I just did not like the lyrics to that song it's like I want you all tattooed and like I want you in a vinyl suit and like it's just like all right dude I don't know I just didn't like that as the subject of the song I did like the idea of the type I guess I like didn't mind the theme of the song it was just more of the choice in lyrics that I didn't like because the whole song is about he wants the girl to be what's considered bad the bad girl, the good girl to turn into a bad girl, I guess, is the what he wants. It's like, then get a bad girl. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It, otherwise, though, it is a pretty fun, upbeat song that I think um it was actually kind of a minor hit. I think it did pretty well. Um And the other one that was another single was Million Miles Away, which I thought was actually good, too. That was them doing the more gone away and self-esteem style song. The, the heavier, the darker sounding song, the alternative rock songs that they they also had in their discography. I mean, there's forgettable stuff. I do think All Along and Conspiracy One aren't like super memorable. I did you notice that Vultures sounds exactly like Come as You Are by Nirvana? It, it does. Yeah. It's the it same does. guitar line. Do 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 do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are you doing, guys? Probably and then, like, kind of on purpose. It could be. I don't know what the lyrics of that song are, but Denial Revisited 2 also had made me think of Pearl Jam. I don't know what it was exactly but they also had some of those Agent Orange riffs again I guess ultimately though there's maybe like three to four really good songs on here and maybe like four or five kind of forgettable ones and then a couple just like outright bad songs so like to me it really is just like this is the most middle of the pack Offspring album which yeah there's there's two songs really like I said there's like two songs that I want to skip and everything else is just fine to good Yeah. So what kind of explains that, though, is Americana comes out in 1998. They then spend pretty much all of 1999 on tour because Americana was huge. Like it did really well for them. It's probably their like second biggest selling record. And they didn't want to let up on that momentum. And so when they came home from tour, they immediately went into the studio and wrote this record. So it's very much they're like. Shit man. Uh well, we've already hit a lull before because they did Ixnay right after Smash and it didn't do as well. No, well Ixnay was Ixnay was three years after Smash. It was a year before Americana. But the point being, Ixnay didn't do as well as Smash did. And yeah. That, and they were like, uh oh, we can't ha we can't let Ixnay happen again was kind of their thing. And so I think what that meant was they were like, Well let's just write Americana a second time. And that's kind of what happened. It does feel like they just Road americana again except it's well, <laughs> they didn't really have the time to really flesh it out you know and so i think that's why many of the songs suffer but there's also stuff on this album that they tried that they hadn't tried before like they experimented a little bit with some stuff on here i think there are some of the weaker tracks but i think they were like all right let's 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 try this now let's try it you know something we haven't done before because Americana as a whole is mostly, with the exception of like the novelty songs, it's still just kind of the straight ahead like skate punk thing that they were doing. And there's a little fun stuff going on with this record because the band was very pro Napster. Yeah, they were they were like the opposite of Metallica. Like they were like they loved music downloading. They thought music on the Internet was definitely the next thing. They they were going to put Conspiracy of One on their website. To download, and Columbia and Sony threatened them with lawsuits and said, You can't do this uh, and so all they did was they just put a, a original prankster on their website because their label was going to sue them if they put the whole album up, which makes sense that this was at this time because you know Billy Corgan did the second machina all online too, so like it was a thing that bands were like the internet's the next big thing with music. they also. They sold T-shirts that uh, had the Napster logo, but said the offspring on them, <laughs> but gave that money to they used that money to help uh, the Napster guys lawsuit because uh, they were being sued. And then Napster threatened to sue them for using their logo. <laughs> so it was just like, what the fuck? We gave you this money. We We did this for you. And now you're turning around and threatening to sue us. Like, that's shitty. Uh, But I guess you can't just use somebody's logo, too, (laughs) and sell them. I don't know, even if it's a benefit. Maybe they should have, like, approved that with lawyers before. But that's also kind of a punk thing, you know. They just, they thought of something and did it. And uh, didn't work out the best for them, but I don't know. Yeah, they, uh, a a lot of artists in this time period embraced the internet. They saw it as a, I mean, probably they saw it as a means of, having more control over the distribution of their own music. Yeah. Labels didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the people like Metallica who were selling, who were making large amounts of money off of their, actually selling their records. Because the Offspring were pretty big, but they probably weren't making that much money off of their records. They were making money on their tours, for sure. Um, I don't know. They were probably doing pretty well. This album was like... Certified Platinum multiple times and in other countries as well. At it what di- point, though? Uh, let's see. I actually was going to refer to this page anyway. So certifications. Two times Platinum in Australia. Gold in Austria and Belgium. Two times Platinum in Canada. Gold in Finland, France, Germany. Platinum in Japan, New Zealand, Spain, Switzerland, the UK, and the United States. they really... Platinum in those, a lot of those countries is much lower than platinum here. Platinum here is a million. Uh, platinum in the UK is 300,000. Big gap. Yeah. Uh, but it is platinum in Europe. Selling a million copies. Uh, let's see. There was like actually a piece in here that mentioned when they were certified platinum. Um, Five weeks after its release. So certified gold and platinum at the same time. Okay. So it's so quick. Yeah. yeah. They peaked at number nine on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart album that's the album chart which is pretty good pretty high up there so it sold a lot of copies now it probably sold a lot of copies off the back of americana because that's kind of how sales work weirdly with uh during this era like bands would sell a shitload of copies of their albums just because the one before was really popular too mm-hmm. yeah which kind of circles back around to that november release uh yeah. i was thinking that's a weird time to release this kind of record and then I was like, oh, right. It's the follow up to Americana. Uh, this is a Christmas present album. Yeah, it's in time for Christmas. That's <laughs> really what this is. Like, all oh, the, he likes Offspring. I'll get him the new Offspring album. All the teens who liked Americana were probably getting this <laughs> for Christmas. They sold 125,000 copies in its first week. Yeah. It debuted at number nine, which is also its peak. Which that usually shows you something, too. If it if your debut is your peak then it means people were like hearing it <laughs> and were like, oh, yeah, it's not as good. You know, so still start start to cool off because rating wise, it's not like generally favorable. So all music gave it a three and a half. That's a retroactive rating. Alternative Press gave it a six out of ten. Christgau gave it a an N, which I think means he refused to rate it because he didn't like it. I think that's what that means. Drowned in Sound gave it a two out of ten. Entertainment Weekly gave it a B. Of course they would. NME gave it a one out of ten. Rolling Stone gave it three and a half. Select gave it two. And Spin gave it a seven out of ten. So mid to negative was not like praised. When did the song or, original Prankster came out in October? It's about a month before the album came out, which that kind of works, I guess, for that time of year. I did want to kind of compare it. Uh, while we're talking about ratings, I did actually have a few lines that I specifically pulled out. So AllMusic said, On Conspiracy One, the Offspring do just that, resulting in their most musically mature collection to date. And then, user on AllMusic, Harry Cox, get it, uh, said, Conspiracy One has by far the most depth of any Offspring album while retaining the attitude of earlier work. Does it? I don't I don't get the feeling this is like their most depth in an album uh, in terms of variety, maybe. Yeah, writing. Yeah. Maybe not lyrically, though. No, I, I don't think that's the intention. But of that statement, but uh, Entertainment Weekly said whether they want to or not, the offspring have become a bellwether for rocks, heightened testosterone levels. What was so aggressive in 1995 now sounds in a rap metal world, tuneful and friendly. The album opens with a snippet of 60 stage patter from Beach Boy, Mike Love, and it's oddly appropriate compared with the knucklehead rockers who've come to dominate the charts. The offspring are modern day Beach Boys, Southern California, good timers with a love of escapist hijinks and pretty good songs. Sometimes you (laughs) wish their peers all could be California boys. Their peers were California. Corn was from Bakersfield. (laughs) Deftones were from California. (laughs) Um It's funny to think they're like and they're tuneful and friendly compared to rap metal (laughs) Uh, and Rolling Stone said there's much honor to be had in making a great novelty songs. As anybody familiar with Tom Lehrer, the Ramones and Bismarcky knows. And as long as the offspring put topical yucks into their hook cram tunes, they hold the title as the world's most rocking novelty band. (laughs) So Rolling Stone was calling them novelty at the time. Uh, So I kind of wanted to see. I think I pulled up the same week modern rock chart that the album came out. Yeah. So original prankster is number two on the modern rock charts that week. Number one was hemorrhage in my hands by fuel. And it's kind of lets you know right below the offspring is man overboard by blank. 182 and number three. But then you look at the rest of the top 10. It's three doors down. It's limp bits get with rolling. It's Lifehouse. It's U U2's beautiful day. <laughs> orgy Papa Roach and Papa Roach again. Two Papa Roach songs back to back. And then like we're still in the middle of new metal. So Linkin Park, Incubus, Godsmack, Disturbed. I'll throw a perfect circle in there. They're not really new metal. Crazy Town, Deftones, Aaron Lewis with Fred Durst doing Outside. <laughs> That's Those are on the top 40 modern rock. So they're fighting with new metal. And then like your butt rock, you like I said, with. Three doors down. You also have. There's an Everclear song. I guess, okay. Everclear's on there. Eve Six is on the roof again, is on there. You also have Little Things by Good Charlotte. Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. SR71's Politically Correct. I don't know that song. Pinch Me by the Bare Naked Ladies. Yellow by Goldplay. Green Day's Warning. Warning was new that week on the charts, too, at 37. And it would probably go up the chart a little bit more. So that's who they're competing with. Really, like yes, they're on the radio and the charts next to new metal, but also the punky bands that they're up against are Blink One Eight Two, Green Day, Eve Six, Good Charlotte, Everclear. I guess I would put them in the same vein. See, yeah, so like within that context, I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like Offspring is on par with all of those bands and what they were putting out. Yeah, um, but I guess there's an age thing. There's a, a little- there's a. They've been on the radio for a long time at this point. But so have Green Day. And like Green, I mean yeah. So uh, Green Day and Offspring are probably on a similar decline though, because Warning's not a big Green Day record. No, because it's like acoustic record. You know, like mostly acoustic guitars on that album, which was a weird choice. But yeah, I could see they are on a similar trajectory at this point. Meanwhile, but Blink One Eighty Two and and Good Charlotte, they're pretty new bands. They're on their way up. Yeah, blink blink is new to the mainstream, but yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, but but that, right, that. but Green Day and Offspring, they've been on the radio since 1994. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those other ones weren't also, you know, the the other people on the chart with them were not the Chili Peppers would be another one who was which makes sense to California bands there. So, yeah, I just wanted to, like, look at that just to see kind of what they were up against and It's kind of funny, too, Green Day and Green Day and Offspring both have a similar amount of time between their next releases. They both slow down a little bit after these records. Yeah, I think it's well, because they really came out at the same time. They, you know, Smash and Dookie the same year. So they're going to follow a similar trajectory, touring constantly, putting stuff out. I think the problem with uh, the Offspring is they never have their... Comeback, yeah, yeah. They don't have a American Idiot Splinter, is not (laughs) so. What is the song? There is a song on their 2012 album that weirdly became pretty big. Uh, let's see what it is because they had a little bit. I was gonna say, like, this is kind of like their peak, their last year of like relevancy in mainstream rock because they did they had that song on the Orange County soundtrack maybe like a year later which was pretty big for them. But it was it was just a one-off song that was on their greatest hits. Though so their greatest hits sold really well when that came out, uh, which I think that's it. They just turned into a greatest hits band after a while. Um, you're Gonna Go Far Kid off of Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace. Did surprisingly well. It's like got 700 million plays. It's actually hmm. their most listened to song on Spotify, even though they have it number two. I hate the algorithm that they apply to their like popular tracks it's like just you show me the number why don't you just have it a number order why is the kids aren't all right with 670 million plays number one but you're gonna go far kids with 770 million plays number two whatever anyway that's a complaint but yeah so technically their most popular song in the digital streaming age is from an album that just had its 15 year anniversary deluxe edition come out <laughs> but was pressed on vinyl with the uh, censored version (laughs) accidentally. (laughs) And they were pissed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I guess that's their last like real moment of relevancy, because then it just turns into them trying to do literally anything to grab attention, bumping in my trunk. And yeah, that song is horrible. Um, And then the newest record got him a little attention. I guess there's the story with the drummer being kicked out, but it was also like their first album in nine years or something like that, almost ten years. So, it got him a little attention. I think him getting his PhD in 2017. So, there's been like things that'll pop up about them that you're just kind of like, hey. But it's just kind of like these one-off items that I should listen to that 2008 album just to see what it sounds like. But... Yeah, this does feel like the the end of their run as like a top a top act. Yeah, I can't really find you know any real uh, stats on Splinter and how well it sold. Yeah, I remember when Splinter came out, the single for that record didn't really like get played much either on the radio. And I still would have been listening just barely in uh, 2003. Hit that's on there. I remember hit that. Being on the radio, but it also felt kind of like, oh, it's also pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> yeah, they just kept trying to make that hit, you know, make that a thing again. When like, you know, great. The song on the Orange County soundtrack was like, can't repeat. I think is the name of that song or next to you. One of the two Um, that song did really well. And it was like melodic and strong and not a novelty song. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't know much about Rise and Fall. I remember when it came out, it was just in a little paper sleeve. And I was like, what is this? Is this is this an album? It's got bad artwork, too. It was like the label was like, we're not going to put money into packaging for you. But it also could have been eco-friendly packaging. It's like a little cardboard sleeve. But I don't know. Well, final thoughts on Conspiracy of One. It's not bad. Yeah, I think it's overhated. Overhated. Two episodes in a row were (laughs) dashboard dashboard. And The Offspring, bands that I think are both overhated. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's not their worst. It's definitely not their best. It's firmly in the middle of their discography. I do think every record they put up before this is better. <laughs> this one, though. Like, I like the skate punk records better than this album. But yes, I guess that will do it. Thank you everyone for listening and you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a review. You can follow us on all forms of social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Threads now. So check that out. I don't does anyone know what's going to happen with Threads? Uh I think people are just going to keep saying we're on Threads. That's all the content is is we're um. on Threads. Until we're all not on threads. <laughs> I do think it's gonna fizzle. I don't think it's gonna stick. If Blue Sky opens up and people can sign up for it. Yeah. If you have a Blue Sky invite and would like to send it to us, please, please do. We'll use it for the Punk Lotto podcast first. We'll make we'll make sure we, we stake that claim. <laughs> uh yeah. It uh it is weird. But also like Twitter's still better, even though Twitter's actively falling apart as you use it. It's still better than threads at this point, because every post isn't about a brand being like, "Uh, is this thing on? (laughs) I feel like I'm cheating on Twitter. I've seen like eight threads like that immediately muting so many. So I muted the Wendy's and Netflix accounts the first day I was on there. It's like, shut up. I do not want you in my feed just because Wendy's made a name by being snarky on Twitter that it's not going to work in threads. Shut Shut up. But yeah all of that at punk lot Sorry. I don't know if we finished. that. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, next week. It'll be Dylan's pick for uh summer theme, summer season.
1: Let's uh, do this on air.
0: What, what did decade, I do last summer? I was going to say, what decade do you want me to assign you a year from? Dealer's choice. How about that? Oh, Just okay. give me one. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see. I don't, I don't know about, what 80s albums sound summary to me you might get the 90s just because it's the other decade i feel like (laughs) feels summary all right thank you everyone and we will talk to you later to order punk call the number on your screen rush delivery is available remember this special offer is not sold in stores